Hello everyone and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast with me your host Ethan Bridge. Today on the show you have the pleasure of listening to Devin Halliday, an author, founder and podcast host. Devin's mission is to unlock and develop the potential in others to give them the ability to do more in the world. A Northern California native living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's explored the people, places and cultures across our planet. He's been amazed, humbled, outraged, but most importantly, inspired. After nearly 20 years leading people and delivering award-winning results in a Fortune 15 technology company, Devin started a new and fulfilling chapter. As founder and chief belonging architect of Rudiment Solutions, a people empowerment company, Devin is able to bring a lifetime's worth of inspiration and influence to those looking to achieve more. Not only this, Devin is the author of the book Belonging Factor and host of the Belonging Factor podcast. Be sure to stick around because in this episode, Devin has been kind enough to offer two free signed copies of his book to those that enter via the link in the show notes below. But before you do, make sure you listen to the knowledge Devin has to offer over the course of this episode, as I know this will only make you want a copy of his book even more. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to CEO Journals. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of talking to Devin Halliday. Devin, how are you doing today? I am doing excellent. I'm very, very happy to be here with you. Coming from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, good old US of A. Love it. Cross the pond. Cross the pond, so to speak, yes. Awesome. So for the listeners that don't know who you are, could you just give us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are? and what you do. Sure, let me, I'll try and save some time here. Let's see if I can not use 60 seconds. Do it. Uh, as, a, as, as a person who worked in corporate world after getting out of the military, uh, I spent my life kind of learning and developing what practices and processes worked well for me and for others who were on leading incredibly successful teams and building the cultures that led to consistent results, regardless of which players that you worked into the system or which employees you may lose or add. And that led me after 18 years in this career and leading people to transitioning into doing that full-time on my own and helping more people and more organizations. So I founded the company Rudiment Solutions, and that's the work we do is help people design strategy, build culture to be able to execute and out-deliver on whatever their goals are. I also happened to write a book called Belonging Factor, and, uh, and that just came out here very, very recently. So super excited. It's available worldwide. And it is very much about the keys, those five key critical elements that drive brands and leaders to be consistently successful. Almost sounds like you've had someone ask you that question before. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe once or twice. I, you know, with the launch of a book comes a, a lot of speaking about oh, yourself. Awesome. And I can't wait to delve into some of that as we get later on in the episode. Great. But the way I like to start all of my episodes is to throw it back with my guests and ask them about their time at school. So let's focus on a 15-year-old Devin. How were you at school? Were you a straight-A student or were you the kid at the back that always pissed about and caused trouble? I was a little bit of both. 
I, I, at 15 years old, I was very much into my music. And for those who are seeing the video, you can see my drums and guitars behind me. Uh, that, that is an incredible passion of mine, a stress release, but a source of creativity as well. So I was incredibly into the music, which meant that uh, if it didn't capture my interest, I was not the straight A student. In fact, I was the one that struggled and had to work hard to bring my attention to what was important that I wasn't necessarily interested in. Of course, if I loved it, whether it was music class, sports, or any of the other things that uh, occupied my time, I certainly gave everything to that. So the troublemaker, not so much, but the one who really was into what I was into and not into what I wasn't, that was me. So then I learned you know, some evolutionary things from there that, uh, that doing the right thing doesn't always mean doing the fun thing that you want to do, but there's a payoff to the end that lets you do more of the fun things. Definitely. So did you go to college or university after school? Immediately after primary school, I left for the military. I joined the U.S. Navy. Oh, yeah. And then I started my college journey kind of online from there. So everything I did from my university level was all online, um, either during or after the military. So let's talk a little bit about the military. Mm. What, what was that like? How was that as an experience? So this is something I write about in, in my book because I, I, I was the perfect marketing test subject for the U.S. Navy. So the Blue Angels are the flight demonstration team of the U.S. Navy that fly their, their jets and do the air shows. And my grandfather used to bring me as a little kid and then my father to the air shows. And I just fell in love and knew I wanted to do something with that. And then, of course, you know, Tom Cruise iconic movie Top Gun came out when I was a, a, a wee one. And that just sent me over the edge. I knew I was going to join the military and be in aviation, specifically the Navy. And so my experience, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the quick version goes like this. I showed up on my aircraft carrier that I was uh, assigned to, got, got to land on the carrier because it was out to sea, which was an incredible experience. And I walk around the hangar and I have to duck under jets and wings and everything. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then over the course of my time there, as leadership grew, as my own personal leadership grew, discipline grew, and I grew in the work I was doing, I came to realize that that wasn't necessarily the culture in place for me because at the end of the day, it was still the military, which was a little different than what my, I think, you know, my developing values were at that time in my life. And so then I made the decision to, to leave the military at the, at, you know, the earliest opportunity and, and kind of break out from there. So I got, I got to live and fulfill it. I also had a chance to experience some amazing things and learn from some amazing people when it came to understanding self-accountability, understanding how to um, influence through both leadership uh, by title and leadership by uh, presence and, and just actions. But how long did you serve for? Uh, I w- was four years. Wow. Okay. So obviously the lessons through that, that you could then transition to your business is incredible. Oh, certainly. Yes. The, ultimately the the military operates in at least in the u.s and i'm sure generally speaking globally uh in a hierarchical structure and you know from uh, e1 to a 09 you you've got ranks that determine who's in charge of who else and the 
business world operates a lot like that or has for many generations, but it's starting to shift and move to less hierarchical, more uh, peer influence, more group um, decision-making and, and empowered accountability rather than just accountability through corrective action or disciplinary action. Military is great at disciplinary action. Uh, and so, but what the, I, I would tell you the biggest thing I learned that I didn't realize was a lesson then was within a peer group, a group of people, the same rank, same job duties, you still have natural leaders that start to emerge natural. Um, yeah, we'll stick with leaders. And, and for me, that, that was one of the things that started to occur. And, and again, I didn't realize it at the time, but later in my career in life and now in the business that I do, it really informed for me how critical and important it is to not have leadership be a function of title, but leadership be a function of behavior and action. And I suppose that relates full circle to the sense of belonging. And, it sure does. But we'll dive into that later on. All right. All right. Um, keep teasing me with this one. <laughs> no, I know. I'm not going to let you get into it just yet. I know you want to talk all about it, but you've got to wait. That's fine. Um, so military and music. So music, do you think that really stemmed creativity when you transitioned into business as well? Yeah, definitely. So there's a, a few elements. Uh, and from a, a music standpoint that I've spent some time in, in fact, worked with some others who are incredible at this. And that's like band dynamics or the dynamics of being in a group of musicians to produce a single outcome, like a record or a song or a live show. And you may have four or five, or in case of one of the bands I played in, 12 personalities and their instruments and trying to find not only the, the right mix of bringing people together from a songwriting standpoint, but also the right mix when you're recording or playing live of which instruments are featured a little more, a little less uh, vocals. I'm a drummer. So my stuff's just loud and that's kind of how it, it is a little bit. Um, but to, to learn how to play in the pocket and play softer and, and let other features come out, that dynamic is actually dynamic in, in not just in the creativity side, but also just kind of organization uh, side of it that, that definitely has played a role for me now, I'll tell you when I talk when I think about my business now and the work I do now. Uh, we've developed all of our systems in house. We've developed all of our systems over a course of experience or research, and so it was important for me as we've developed these systems that we work with businesses on to bring a creative approach or something that solves a pro a common problem but in a unique way. Um, and yeah, some of that probably does stem from having this background in, um, particularly in jazz and improvisation. In music. So completely off topic of business, but music related. The bass player. I, I don't want to offend any bass players out there, but how important are they? You could, especially with you on the drums. I, when I go and listen to uh, festivals and gigs and things like that, I can never hear the bass player. So... Um, I would tell you for me, like when, so I, I'm wearing my in-ear monitors right now as we're talking and that's what I wear on stage. And for me, what I have in my ear is a drummer, a little bit of my kick drum, a little bit of my snare drum, nothing else. Cause it's so loud. Um, a lot of bass, a little bit of rhythm guitar and lead vocals. I don't really care about the solos on the solo guitar. Uh, you know, that's, that's fine. I'll listen to it later but the bass is the number one thing for me. 
And I mean, we could, we could wax philosophical and talk <laughs> about base being like B-A-S-E instead of B-A-S-S. And it's the foundation and rudimentary element of the sound you're building and everything builds up from base. And base is not a unidirectional sound, but it, it travels in all directions. It's an omnidirectional sound. Uh, I mean, so we, I mean, we, we could get into all the symbolism of it, but, but if we want to just stick to music, for me, the bass as a drummer, if, if I can't hear the bass, I'm not in sync with the rest of the band. I'm glad I asked because I did not know. And now yeah. I do. And now I appreciate the bass player. And, and, and now, even though you may not hear the bass in the audience, the drummer's hearing it. You, you can be sure yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, that guy, anyone that asks me, I'll be like, that guy knows. Trust me. Yep. So now I'm going to let you talk about your book. Oh, great. We've got to the point. So on the cover, it notes how great brands and great leaders inspire loyalty, build community, and grow profits. If you had to summarize your 151-page book, I did Google that, <laughs> what is its overall message? If you had to summarize it into two minutes. So if I was going to summarize it into two minutes, it would be this. Most organizations, they have well-written and well-intentioned culture statements, uh, value statements, and they typically exist in you know, big meetings. They live up on walls uh, inside of the building, and they're really designed to inform how a brand and how the people are supposed to behave within the organization. So what Belonging Factor does is take kind of this BS that exists in some of these value statements um, and also takes great value statements and, and culture statements that just kind of live on a wall and turns them into tangible, actionable behaviors that a company and a leader can do. And what I found through my research is while there are many characteristics that make successful leaders and there are many characteristics that make brands successful and, and build loyalty, what it really boils down to is both leaders and brands are interacting and interfacing with people, right? So. If that's the case, we're just a company or a person interacting with another person, then what I used was that theory to find the overlapping characteristics. And I found five. And the five that I found that truly overlap and create that sense of uh, what I call the belonging factor, I'll, I'll just kind of give you an overview and then we can dive into anything else yeah. if you want to. But number one, authenticity, you, you need to model what's expected. Number two, you need to empower and champion others. And then again, that's brand and leaders. Number three, you have to define what the roles or the value alignment looks like. Number four, you have to build some sort of cognitive or intellectual diversity and keep in mind that perspective really does matter, right? The, the lens of the person experiencing it, not the person delivering it. And then last is to foster some sort of community and collaboration whether that's within your team or within the loyalty of your customer. So if a company were to approach you and say, how can we create a belonging factor within our business? Where would you start? I would start at uh, www.rudimentsolutions.com <laughs> slash contact us. <laughs> there we go. Um, sh shameless plug. Um, so here's where I start. And this is the very first question. And in fact, let me just, let me share this in the form of a tip. So anybody listening can just do it and they can start here on their own. Take your value proposition, your mission, your, your company culture statement, your credo, whatever version it is that guides your internal principles of your organization. 
and print them out or write them down on a sheet of paper. That's step one. Step two, beside that, or on a separate sheet of paper, write out the behaviors that should exist or the actions that somebody else could see you doing in your role or your job that align with each of those values or each of those pieces of your culture code. And then if you're a leader of people, go ahead for each type of job description or job role you have that reports to you. What are those behaviors or actions that somebody could see? And this is where the biggest disconnect is that I find, and this is why it's always step one. I ask a senior leader, see, I, I was working with the CEO not that long ago. And uh, the, the problem brought to me was, we're just having consistent performance problems. We're having high turnover. We're struggling to find the right people and retain them so we can have great results. And I said, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to start in a weird place. Talk to me about your culture. Gives me the culture code, shows me where they, they talk about it. And then I asked the question. So could you describe for me any, just pick any job function in your organization, just any one job function. What are the behaviors that align with each of those statements listed in your company's culture code? And he couldn't, which meant to me that since he couldn't, it was likely that others couldn't. We did find out that others could not because there was not an importance put on tying an idea or an aspiration to a set of actionable behaviors to deliver the outcomes. So it was like great idea. And then we have this problem, but not realizing that that great idea can help solve or address this problem that you have. So where did the whole idea of doing this actually stem from? What made you start Rudiment Solutions? So what made me start this was in living and experiencing this myself for 18 years in a Fortune 15 company and being part of and leading teams that had varying degrees of success and becoming a student as to why. I'm a huge proponent of kind of after action reporting or in the medical field, it's the morbidity and mortality reporting or, or review, but where you go back and you just look at what's working, what's not working and learn from and move forward. So for me, what I started to find was that it made less difference on um, a person's sales skills background or a person's particular education background. And it made more difference on how willing they were to be a culture add and a value to the team because you can teach the, the other steps necessary along the way in most roles, not in every role. So I'm, I'm aware that there, there are certain baselines, you know, to entry in certain roles. Um, and so for me doing that in within the organization for so long, I, I decided ultimately it was time for me to start helping others. I was already mentoring and coaching others who were outside of, of my company. So it was time for me to start helping others and to do it full time. And so I made the decision and here, here's, here's the kind of rub on this story. It, I was going through an existential crisis. Uh, last <laughs> year, my father passed away suddenly unexpected from a heart attack. And I was doing the whole, you know, what's the meaning of life? What are my kids going to think of me? Am I spending enough time with them? You know, all of the things that happen when you have a, a trauma like that. Yeah. And I made the decision in that trauma, which some people would tell me that's ill-advised, but I made the decision in that trauma to put my foot down and say, I'm going to stop working for somebody else's dream. I'm going to work for mine and I'm going to do this section of my work because it was the most rewarding for me. And it's the one that I know I could add the most value in. But again, no longer working for somebody else's dream. That was a big catalyst. 
I love that as well. So, and the fact that you were able to turn around this trauma into something positive for yourself as well is inspiring. I, I truly admire that as well. And it clearly has it clearly paid off as well. That risk. Yeah. Things have been, I mean, things have been going like crazy. We talk about this book. Um, I started writing the book shortly before uh, that happened, but not in earnest, you know, just kind of putting pages together. And uh, after it happened, it was the motivator to really kind of get it done. So we're talking book formation of a company, starting a podcast, doing all the speaking engagements. I mean, all of this is just spun in this last 12 months into something incredibly amazing. And, uh, and I definitely feel like, you know, there's whether it's an angel or, or that spirit over the shoulder that, that keeps pushing me every day. For sure. Why did you write the book? What, cause no one wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm going to write a book today. So what was the thought of going actually into writing it and seeing it through, not starting and then getting a few pages in and being like, oh, I can't be asked anymore. But what made you see it all the way through? <laughs> so there are uh, t- two elements. Uh, I decided to start writing the book as, uh, like I mentioned, just kind of pages uh, that I didn't know if they were going to be blog posts or they were going to inform what would be some of my training material. Uh, certainly, you know, it, it does that. Uh, as well. But, uh, but it was more to just start getting things out of my head and things that I had notes all over the place from my career into, into some pages. So that was kind of the genesis of just writing stuff. Then shortly after my father passed, it turned into people, you know, reading some of these pages, getting exposure to some of this content and giving me feedback that, wow, this is tremendous. This is super valuable. Uh, why don't you write a book about it? And of course, my initial response was, yeah, sounds great. Thanks. I'll leave that to the professionals. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I decided that as I continued writing pages and writing pages, I would start to structure it. I started shopping it out to some folks. I got with a publisher who said, yeah, I love this. This is amazing. And we finished it and got it edited and released September 9th. Love it. So for those that don't know how to the process of actually published publishing the book, how did you promote this to a publisher for then it being able to be from this screen, this idea to being a physical in hand book? So there's many, many ways to do this. I lucked out and got direct contact with a publisher who had published um, different books in a similar genre from from some other authors. And and so I took some really specific steps. I invited a few of those authors onto my podcast and built some relationships with them and built a little bit of a network with them. Uh, they definitely had value add for my audience. And I leveraged that relationship to get a direct conversation with this publisher because the traditional model requires you to send your one page and your treatment and maybe a manuscript off to a bunch of literary agents, find somebody who wants to pick you up, and then send you off to uh, you know their contacts at some publishing houses and see if they if they can, they'll pick you up. So uh, I kind of circumvented some of the bureaucratic part of the system through the networking piece. Definitely, and that was I was going to ask you having because uh, I'm intrigued being a podcast host as well. Has having a podcast been able to benefit your business, which it, it does, which it clearly has. Yeah, it, it does in a few different ways. And so the, obviously the one way I just shared with you and another way is if, if you're providing meaningful and relevant value 
and content for your, your audience, your audience will grow. And a big piece of being, whether it's an author or a speaker uh, or even a successful coach and consultant, having a platform is important, right? And so by platform, I mean, you know, an, an audience of engaged people. So it's not that your Facebook page has, you know, 80,000 friends or likes. It's that you have 19,000 people who engage with content constantly, right? So my, it, my platform isn't 80,000. My platform is 19,000. And by the way, that's huge, right? If that, if that is the case, I don't have 19,000 on mine, but just to give context of a platform. And so the way platform grows is not by collecting a bunch of, you know, likes and subscribers. It's collecting a bunch of people who engage with your content. And so, so that's, I think that's been the biggest way is for me, the podcast is a way to just kind of peel back layers and have a dialogue happening regularly out there, whether it's from a listener of my podcast directly or somebody who, a listener who then shares it with somebody else. And then they have a conversation with their coworker or their boss. Like, Oh, I can't measure all that stuff, but that's the mission of that part of it. It's kind of a passive engagement right? Yeah. Uh, whereas the consulting and coaching and speaking are much more active engagement. Here's a question then. Would you rather have 10,000 listeners every episode, but only 2% core engagement? So 200 people, so 200 people fully interested right? or 400 listeners with all of them being completely interested in your podcast? So that's an interesting question, and I have a complex answer for you. I wish I had a simple answer. It's fine. Uh, I try to keep it simple. So 10,000 regular listeners and 200 who engage in the content, meaning they forward it out on social media or they comment on social or they, um, they've subscribed and shared. So it, it, that's the question, right? Um, yeah. So this is interesting. So statistically, you have a much higher probability of if you have 10,000 regular listeners, knowing that people don't always engage, you have a much higher probability of them, of those people sharing it with other people and gaining more engaged listeners that way than you do if you only have 400 listeners, yet they're 100% engaged um, because they have a finite circle that they can impact. So let's say you have 400 people and 10 weeks in, those same 400 people are hitting their same audience with, oh, check out this podcast. It's amazing. CEO Journals, you have to, you have to check it out. Their, their audience will get a little saturated from that versus the 10,000 regular listeners, 200 active engaged. The math tells you that your 200 active engaged will grow exponentially because your 10,000 will turn to 11 to 15 to 25 through that process. Um, so I tell you early going, I, I would take a hundred percent engagement, but a smaller listener base later going, I would take regular, uh, downloads and listens with a smaller percentage of, of regular engaged because you're going to have the social aspect promulgate much faster. There's my, there, there's my two cents. I probably should have had those numbers a little closer together for the sake of the question, but, no, but I, yeah, so either either way, same concept. yeah, I mean, so what I, would I rather have 200 people fully engaged and, um, and 500 listeners or would I rather have 400 people fully engaged and 400 listeners? Yeah. I mean, it's a no brainer 400, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the easy math there. Yeah. Cool. 
And I love that because as a podcast host, I think, so what's your one piece of advice for a new podcast host? From podcast host to podcast host, what's the one piece of advice? What you're interested in matters less than what your listener is interested in. And ideally, you have value alignment. Your interests align with your audience. But sometimes the best questions and and interviews and, and content comes from seeking the the feedback or guidance from your audience, uh, reaching out and connecting with people who listen and get things that they might be interested in asking. And it, cause it could change the direction a little bit of a guest you choose to bring on or a topic you choose to, to move into. Um, because ultimately you're doing this because you believe very much in the content and value that you can provide. Um, but your audience is really truly going to dictate for you the paradigm of value. Definitely. And if I'm going to add my two cents on that for the listeners as well is don't consume yourself in the numbers, especially when for me first starting out at the moment, the numbers are really small, but that's not why I've started the podcast. I love networking. I love speaking to people. I love talking to people about their stories and it's a kind it's a hack for networking as a podcast host, even though you don't get any listeners, you're still going to get people that are of great value. have had tons of experience, tons of knowledge. They're still going to want to talk to you because it's a podcast and podcasting is huge at the moment. So that's yeah, mainly networking. And if the numbers come, the numbers come, that's just a byproduct. But I've been able to talk to some incredible people already. And this is knowledge that, many would have to pay for you would pay people for this knowledge of the belonging factor you you charge businesses for this knowledge yeah i'm sitting here in front of you paying nothing we're just on a call so that's it's, it's a bit of a hack really that's what it I is like. that and and that that's perfect uh segue because again my podcast when i started it uh i already mentioned you know the way i got to my publisher that i ended up working with was a direct result of the ability to get some guests on and and by the way targeted to get some guests on who were authors who uh, were in this particular publishing group so you know it, it was a, it was a little bit calculated no doubt about it and uh, and what a great way to do it and by the way it's been a symbiotic relationship we all scratch each other's back so to speak and uh, and help each other out throughout the process so it's been a great networking hack yeah and there's a lot of people I've spoken to as well that say collaborate, don't compete, especially when I've spoken to other podcast hosts. Mm-hmm. They've introduced me to other guests and it's, we get sort of this, like we're this little community. Like we should, we should all help each other. You've had guests. So I could reach out to my guests if you want them in your show and vice versa. I think it's sure. And it's good to get, get onto it now as well, because there's, there's a stat at the moment and it's something like there's only 750,000 podcasts. And when you compare that to YouTube at the moment, that's nothing, literally nothing. But if you look back at those original YouTubers that were in the game when there was only 750,000 YouTube channels, look at them now. That a lot of them are multi, multi millionaires. They are. They're running massive brands um, or they are the face of massive brands and working with an incredible team of people around them to curate their brand at this point. 
right? And, uh, yeah. and they're still doing the same thing essentially they were doing before. Um, they're just impacting millions and millions of people. And then you've still got people like Joe Rogan as a podcast host at the moment that's been able to, he's been doing it for a while. He started a long time ago, but he makes an obscene amount of money from his podcast. It's, he makes an obscene amount of money and he records four hour episodes. Who can do that? Like pay that guy. What, <laughs> that's do, you a think, long what time. do you think his average listener like interaction is? How long do you think people stay on his episodes for? Cause so listen, I don't think I, hours in a day to listen to a podcast yeah me either so i'm a subscriber and uh i will put it on if i don't have any calls to make while i'm in the car uh and and headed somewhere that might be 25 minutes at a time or it might be two hours at a time and then i usually don't have the time to pick it back up again right because i'm yeah I'm, i'm busy so sorry i tell you 25 minutes to two hours. I love getting on the Facebook, uh, you know, list and seeing some of the excerpts and like the highlights. That's That's what I do. That's probably where I consume most of his show. Honestly, is in those little four minute to 10 minute clips. What's your favorite podcast? CEO journals. (laughs) Now be serious. (laughs) Uh, But thank you. Flattered. um, My favorite podcast it's probably, it's, it's called the Higher Purpose Podcast. Okay. Um, I'm wrong that. Yeah, Higher Purpose. Kevin Monroe is the host. Um, I was fortunate to be a guest with him. Really? I, I just, I love the message and value that both he and his guests give. Uh, it's very much uh, about fulfilling your purpose, uh, which I know so many people, whether you're in a C-suite or you're working your way there eventually, uh, or an entrepreneur, purpose is an important thing and, and feeling like what you do matters, whether that's at work or it's at home with your, your family. It's, it's just such an important and critical element to you know, being able to sleep well at night and get up energized the next day. And at the end of it all, look back and go, man, that was cool. I, yeah. I, I, I did that one pretty good. You know? I love that. I'm going to have to listen. That's definitely going to be one to add to this. I've got too many podcasts to listen to now. If my whole day is going to be full of podcasts. Plus mine. (laughs) (laughs) So you've dropped some incredible value throughout this episode and I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. But there's three final questions I have for you on three topics that I don't believe are discussed enough. And these are money, relationships, and death. Death might sound morbid, but it's something I get some really interesting answers on and I do like to ask everyone. So the first question in relation to money I don't personally think it directly relates, but some people do. And this is why I ask it that this is the question is what does the word success mean to you? Yeah. So I, I don't conflate success and money directly together. I, I view them as, as an indirect uh, relationship. So my personal definition of success includes being able to provide life and opportunity so a a, a life and opportunity for my family that does not you know involve hardship i think it's a kind of very basic baseline level uh what does that entail that entails access to quality education um, ability to compete in a job market um, and the understanding of who they are as people to be able to achieve or or do whatever it is that kind of they set out to do and not be a be 
<clears throat> beholden to working a job because you have to work the job so you get the money to pay the bill and getting caught in that vicious loop. So money or effective wealth management allows me or anybody really to to not have to have that sacrifice where you're constantly trading your time for money. Um, that, that's my view of it. Again, the, my, my yeah. definition of success is being able to provide that opportunity for my family and for them to be able to have those opportunities in their life and not to work too hard for them. Now, others might define success very much about uh, how big their bank account is and what their job title is that they've earned for themselves, in which case, oftentimes you're trading your life the precious hours and minutes of your life for money. You mentioned job title. This is a question I was meant to ask earlier. Why do you call yourself the chief belonging officer rather than the CEO? Yeah, of your so company? Chief, yeah chief belonging architect. So that, um, that came from a joke that somebody had mentioned to me or decided to start calling me when I was at um, a leader in, in the company that I had worked for previously. I was getting on this whole culture thing and this creating strong teams thing and creating a sense of belonging and empowering people. And, and I was really, you know, for a, quite a while, really going after that as my primary leadership asset. And so, uh, you know, we always had fun names for, for people, chief custodial engineer and, you know, as opposed to janitor. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. It's just, just all, all sorts of funny, funny little names. And so uh, one day, uh, Travis, uh, a peer of mine said, Hey, um, you're all about this belonging thing, man. You're the, you're the chief belonging officer. You're the chief belonging architect. And I was like, Ooh, I kind of like that. And so, uh, so when it came time then for me to go out on my own, start my own company, uh, CEO, uh, yeah, I don't know that that's my function. I'm very much not in the chief executive officer function, uh, founder. Yes. Um, Chief belonging architect. Yeah, that makes sense. Go out and, and be the steward of creating belonging and, uh, and workplace cultures. That, that like, makes sense to what I do. I like that as well, because again, full circle background to belonging. You, even though you are the founder, you aren't considering yourself as top of the chain. Everyone reports into you. And as you say, not calling the janitor the janitor and things like that like they feel that their job has more purpose in that aspect as well so i, th I find that really interesting and yeah. i think more companies should do that because again belonging that's what this podcast has been about <laughs> right so let's move on to the question with regards to relationships so throughout your journey so far, have you found it difficult to maintain relationships, whether that be with family, friends, significant other, or have you found ways for you to bring your peers and family along on your journey with you? Yeah. So early in my career, difficulty, yeah. uh, very, very career motivated, ambitious, traveling and being relocated all over. Um, you know, to horrible places to live like Hawaii, <laughs> um, to, to, uh, you know, all over California and, and, and eventually out into the East coast of the U S here. And so being kind of singularly focused and not having my purpose and value alignment really established early on that, uh, that put a lot of strain on personal relationships. Uh, you know, friendships kind of 
just faded because lack of frequency of interaction um, and even marriage having, you know, strains and, and difficulties. And so then I would say, you know, kind of once the value, personal value alignment and, and sense of purpose was more clearly understood and it wasn't chasing whatever the next promotion was, but more chasing the impact I had and what I was able to give to myself and my family, all of that changed uh, for me. And, and so, you know, I went through strains in relationships with my parents, with wife, with friends. And what I found is those friends who I still have, who I had, you know, way back when, before any of this started, uh, those are the true relationships and the, the true deep ones. And yeah, there's the few transactional friendships that are out there, but certainly they're not the, the ones that kind of re-energize you or whenever you pick up the phone or, or type a message, it's even though it might've been six months since you talked, it just feels like it was yesterday. Right. So, yeah. um, so, so I've maintained probably the truest and most important relationships and learned how to, to be the, the person and the partner and the friend that is required of me through having, making sure I have that value alignment. But yeah, really, it's, it's a journey. And as long as you're aware of it, and as long as you have good understanding of who you are and what your values are, you're, you're probably going to make the right decisions. But if you're lost and things are starting to go a little sideways, that's the moment to stop and say, hey, what are my values? And is what I'm doing, does it align yeah. with my values? Kind of like the exercise I do with organizations, right? Yeah. And I love how you relate almost everything back to being able to provide for your family because that is an incredible why. That's also my why. I'm thinking about what I do now. I'm more thinking about my future self and I don't want to be my future self looking back at time. If I'm not doing, I'm working to my full potential that I've wasted that time. And during that time I could have done something to better my future self. That's sort of my take on that as well. So always yeah. relating be able to provide in the future is a result of what is happening now yeah the the whole yolo concept is a little you know the, it doesn't quite work in mature yeah. adult life right <laughs> like the take risks and, and do fun things when you're younger sure of course but have an eye on what that the the future holds and have an eye on what you want to accomplish not just today but six months or a year or even 10 years or 20 years from now if, if you can really see out that far in the future I have never been able to see that far out in the future, but if you can, more power to you. I'll try and think about it. I can't make any promises. Sure. Um, final question, relation to death. Are you afraid of dying? No. Why? I've had this conversation um, you know, fairly recently with the, the passing of my father. Um, afraid of it? No. Um, you know, I, I, I talk about, I think my introduction in the book starts with, um, if, if a pragmatic optimist exists, I am that person. So I have a lot of hope in me. Uh, and that's kind of the optimism part, but I'm pragmatic and, and very much rooted and grounded in just the facts of the situation and understand that our carbon matter has a, has a date that it expires for one reason or another, whether it's, you know, because it got old or because something happened to it, but that, that we are fragile uh, vessels here. Right. So, yeah. um, so I think I, you know, coming to the understanding of, of that piece that, that it's inevitable and just don't question that. Don't ask why don't, 
don't don't search for some answer behind it just understand that it is then it becomes for me and this is this is the why part like the true why part then it becomes for me about the optimist part of it the, the idea of of hope and having hope and and trying to breed hope and create a situation for again my life and the lives of others where there is some sort of impact and i don't mean legacy legacy to me is is a little bit more kind of ego focused um, on on me as an individual i mean more um, impact into how the world is able to view itself or people a person view itself himself or herself and then kind of move forward out out in the world so to 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 leave something that it kind of just moves forward uh, in the world and again it's not about the legacy or getting credit as much as it is about just the hope that there continues to be better for people um, so yeah there there's my answer why I'm not afraid to die by Devin Halliday. <laughs> Start a book on it. You're clearly a good author. But uh, no, thank you for talking about that because obviously it's a very touching subject with you. You've mentioned your father. So thank you for that. Sure. Um, now it's your time to plug. Where can our listeners find you? And I know you've also got a giveaway you want to do for I, my listeners. I do. Well, I, first, I do. First giveaway. Yeah, let's do a giveaway first because if I start plugging and then people un, you know, take out their AirPods and then, <laughs> and, and then they don't get access to this. So, so keep your AirPods in. That's my, that's my trick here. Um, I would like to give away to the listeners of CEO Journals two signed copies of my book, Belonging Factor. So all you have to do, if you would like to get a signed copy from me, is go to CEO Journals dot belongingfactor.com and i know you'll have this listed in the show notes right so you can just go to the link there too however go to ceojournals.belongingfactor.com put in your first name your email address i'll select two random people while well, the computer does it who am i i don't select it two random people i'll get in touch with you get your mailing address and sh- and sign it and ship it straight out to you and hopefully you can enjoy it and share it with a bunch of others so yeah, that's the, the number one way that you can do something right now if what we talked about is of interest to you. But if you want to do something more, you could listen to my podcast. That's a great way to just kind of get an introduction. So uh, Belonging Factor podcast is available anywhere you listen to podcasts or at podcast.belongingfactor.com. And then if you're interested in going further and past that, go ahead and send me an email, devin at rudimentsolutions.com. Let me know you listen to me on the CEO Journals podcast and you want to connect and talk more. Uh, whether you send me an email there or you find me on LinkedIn, I absolutely love to connect with and learn more about and share with everybody out there. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do that today on CEO Journals. This has been awesome. And I can't thank you enough. The pleasure's mine. I'm taking your time. This is, this is, my, this is my podcast and it's the fact you've come on it. I can't appreciate your time enough. So once again, Devin, thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. It's been a pleasure. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week. So you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a five-star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes two seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all your aspiring and current business owners. 
Have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to CEO Journals. <laughs>